Good morning. Welcome to church. My name is Stuart. If we haven't met, one of the pastors here at ACF Church, and I think you came on a good day. We are in a series called How to Doubt, and a few weeks ago, Pastor Brian introduced the series. If you remember, there was a couch on the stage, and doubt really is an opportunity for us not to walk away from the faith, but to reevaluate where our faith really is and to reconnect with the God uh, who has saved us. Last week, Pastor Josh talked about how to doubt in the midst of the storm, the problems and the trials in life, when things get really tough and we don't see a way out. How do we walk through and navigate our relationship with our God in those situations? And we're going to continue that discussion and that conversation today. Have you ever noticed, I noticed this, when I text somebody and I don't get an immediate reply, it gets under my skin. Like I start to question things like, did they get the text? And if they got the text, did they understand the text? And if they understood the text, are they mad at me? Did I upset them? Did I phrase it right? So I go back and I review it, and I'm looking to see, are there little bubbles? Are they typing something? Nope, they're not. I'm, did I upset them before? So now I'm going back through the conversation. Did I, did I maybe say something last week that upset them? And so now they're like ghosting me a little bit. And so I don't hear from them. I, I've come, maybe I should just call them. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe I should send him another text. Did you get the text that I just sent? I don't know. Like, I, I feel like there's a little bit of insecurity when I have silence on the other end of communication. I don't know how you feel about that, but I, I see that. One of the things I love about living in Alaska uh, and hunting in Alaska is the ability to get beyond uh, radio communication, beyond cell phone range, and to not have the expectation of immediate response that a lot of times uh, we do carry with us. Now we have satellite communication, so that's all gone too. So not even out in the middle of nowhere in the remote Alaska can you be expected to ignore communication with people. They want to know now. I want to know now. But what do we do? I don't know if you've ever thought, like, I've been praying with God, I've been walking with God, and I've got radio silence on the other end. Like, is God even there? And that's the doubt we're going to look at today is what do we do when we don't see or feel God, or we're not experiencing God in our lives at the moment. Like, it seems like maybe we're in a desert, and he's left us there all alone. You know, maybe you're a believer, and you're walking lockstep with God today, and you came in this room, and you were just on fire. Everything seems to be, you know, clicking on all gears, um, and you're fine. And maybe you're a believer, and you are in a dry period, and you're wondering where God is. Maybe you come back to the church after a long period because you experienced a dry time where God wasn't responding and you started to question, is he even real? Is he there at all? Does he, and if he is, does he care about me? Maybe you've never experienced Jesus Christ and the new life that he offers. And I want to say that we're, I'm so glad you're here. And I hope that you will ask questions and you'll be okay, not just to doubt and to walk away, but to, to doubt and to lean in and to answer, uh, look for answers in some of those questions. Today, if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that I think gives us some encouragement. And the encouragement is this, and it's a weird encouragement. We're all going to face doubt. We're all going to uh, face times of desert and trial. We're all going to have times where we don't feel like God is even there. How is that encouraging? Well, the, the encouragement is that's not the end of the story. That's never the end of the story. And I love the songs that we're singing. Even when I don't see you, when I don't feel you, you're always working. There's hope. There's hope coming. So if you have your Bible, we're going to look at Psalm 13 today. We're going to start in Psalm 13. Six verses. 
and it's written by David. If you don't have your Bible, you can look on the ACF app. The scripture's there. It'll also be on the screen uh, behind me as well. Psalm 13, verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, because he has dealt bountifully with me. David wrote this psalm, and it's meant to be sung. I would love to have, maybe the, maybe the worship team could start working on this uh, as their next song. How long will you forget me forever, Lord? You know, how long? Are you there? Hello, I'm here, and you're, you're not there. Um, not exactly the most catchy tune, um, but it breaks down, I think, you know, it's, but it is meant to be sung, and it's written by King David, uh, and it, I think, breaks down into three easy sections, but two verses at a time, six verses. So the first two is his complaint. He's saying, God, you're, I, don't, I don't see you. I don't experience you. I need you. I'm looking to you, and I don't find you. And then the next two verses is his request. I need to see you. I, if, if, if you don't show up, I'm lost. I've got to see you. And then the last two, he remembers what God has done, and so he looks forward to eventually seeing God again, to experiencing God again in a real and uh, in, in present way. David likely wrote this when he was running from King Saul. Uh, so just a little bit of history of David at this point is he had been anointed by the prophet Samuel to be the future king of Israel. And then he went back to shepherding. And then eventually he's taking lunch to his brothers who are facing off against the Philistine army and he's, we have a champion of the Philistines, Goliath, and David decide, feels compelled by God uh, because he's degrading God to go fight Goliath, and he takes down Goliath. So now he's a hero in the Israelite camp, and Saul takes notice of this, and David eventually rises uh, in the ranks and becomes one of Saul's prized captains. He is like the up-and-coming dude in the nation of Israel. The ladies are even singing songs about him. And then Saul gets jealous, and his demeanor turns. And instead of trying to help David along, he starts to feel jealous, and his pride creeps in. And so he starts to chase uh, David literally out of the kingdom, uh, trying to kill him. And so at this time, when David likely wrote this psalm, he's hiding in caves, running from Saul, with a, with a long-distant promise, you'll be king and not seeing any way that it could have happened. Like, he th- I'm sure thought he was just going to rise up, and eventually maybe Saul would step aside, maybe he would die, who knows. But then David would be made king after all this glorious military uh, success. And yet here he is, hiding in the cave with a few um, straggly men, wondering where God is. And that's where we find David in this. So what can we learn from this little short song that David sung so long ago and put into words. The first thing is if King David, this dude who is up and coming in Israel, a a man who it said is after God's own heart, if David himself can feel like God is distant and vacant, 
we're probably going to experience the very same thing. So I think some encouragement is, if it happened to him, it can happen to us. And we shouldn't be thinking, well, I should always experience the presence of God every moment of my life. There are times when I believe we will go through uh, these deserts in our lives where we won't experience the presence of God. And so here's the reality is this. God uses the deserts. So we'll, I'm sorry. So God uses the deserts, so we'll depend on him. There's a reason why we're in the deserts. There's a purpose for it. It's not just God's like, I'm going to see how you do by yourself. He's like a father walking with his children, leading and guiding them. You know, this weekend, yesterday, actually, I spent, I got up at about 9 a.m., and I started working on my truck. Uh, I needed some work, and I finished about 6 p.m., and several times as I'm taking this thing apart and, and working on it, I don't know what to do next. I'm like, I see a problem, and I know what I kind of need to get to, but I, I don't know how, so what do I do? I grab my phone, I Google, and then, of course, it brings up a YouTube video of some guy who's telling me exactly how to do it. And then there's like five other guys telling me how to do it better and simpler and easier. And so in five minutes, I now know how to do it. And so I do it. And then I forget, of course. But then I go work a little bit more, and then I have to look it up again. And, but that, I love that we can get answers now. I don't have to look. I, if I want to know information, it's available. I don't know. This is going to make you, some of you young people won't even realize or know what this is. Microfiche. If Back in the day when you wanted to work on your car, I grew up, that was my time with my father, was working on my car. But back in the day, if you wanted to go work on a car or find any information out, you didn't just like, there was no Google, there was no computer to look it up. You either called somebody who you thought knew, you went and talked to people, or you went to the library and they would have these devices with these little clear things with like microscopic writing on them. But you'd put them in these devices that would magnify it horribly, and you would try your best to find the information you needed in this vast quantity of, uh, of, of uh, plastic information. So that's what you had to do. But what I found was you used to have to think through. It was a slower process before you would work on something. Before you, I would work on a car back in, when I was in my teens and early 20s. I would think through, literally I'd go to bed thinking what this job might look like, all the pieces, like in my head I would rehearse it, I would go through so that I would have all the information, all the, the, the planning and the strategy ready to go when I woke up in the morning. And what I found now is I just woke up yesterday and started working and realized, oh, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing, so i got to Google this and figure it out. So I want the information now. But real change takes time. And God is after a much deeper growth in our lives than an instantaneous lesson. He's not just trying to impart information into our lives, into our hearts. He's trying to change who we are. He's trying to go far, far deeper. How does God work? Well, there's countless examples in Scripture. If you remember back, Joseph, if you know Joseph. So we have Abraham. He has a son, Isaac. He has a son, Jacob, who God changes his name to Israel which is where we get the name for the nation of Israel, he has 12 sons, one of whom is Joseph. Joseph is not loved by his brothers. Um, he tells them some dreams uh, that kind of tick them off. He's kind of a, you know, a daddy's boy, and they don't like him for it. They have to work hard. He kind of gets the easy life. So the, he brings them uh, to go check on them one time when they're way out in the, in the middle of nowhere. And so they're all by themselves, and they see him coming, and they're like, Let's, this is our opportunity. So they, they want to kill him. And then some of the brothers were like, maybe that's, such, that's not a great idea. 
there's some slave traders going by. Let's sell them into slavery. Then we don't have blood on our hands. So they do. His brothers sell them to the slave traders who are on their way to Egypt. Joseph eventually gets sold to Potiphar. He works in Potiphar's house and earns Potiphar's trust. Then Potiphar's wife starts hitting on him. He won't respond, so she accuses him of, of, of advancing on her. And he's put in prison by Potiphar. He's not happy, as he shouldn't be. He sits in prison. He makes some friends, right? And uh, he interprets the dreams of these, these two people. And one of whom is executed. The other gets put back in his position. But before he leaves prison, he says, don't forget me. But what does he do? He forgets Joseph. So Joseph spends more time in prison. Eventually, Pharaoh has a dream. And the guy remembers, there's a dude who can interpret dreams, like wasting away in prison. So they bring Joseph. He makes good impression on Pharaoh, eventually earning his trust because of the, types, uh, the content of the dreams predicting a famine. So he's now put in a position of power in Egypt. That position allows him to bring the rest of his family to Egypt for protection during a time of drought. Eventually, that family of 70 turn into millions under the protection of Egypt. God predicted it back when he made a covenant with Abraham. He said, I will make you the father of a great nation, but they will spend 400 years in slavery. So they spent 400 years in Egypt. So Joseph was being used mightily to do this, this, uh, fulfill this covenant that God had with Abraham. But yet, the path was convoluted, right? And the path that God uses in our life is rarely a straight line. It usually takes far more twists and turns than we would ever dream of or maybe even ever desire. So the first thing David does when he comes to God is he, he brings his complaint, right? How long? He uses how long four times in six verses. He's acknowledging in his life right now, I don't see you, God. I don't feel you, God. I don't see how you're working here. This is not the plan. If, if I were in charge, I would do this differently, God, and I don't get you. So what do we see David doing? And he really is, he, we're being encouraged to take our whole heart to God, I think, as we, we uh, look to David for some guidance here. Take our whole heart to God. And what does that mean? What does it mean to take our whole heart to God? The first thing is that we need to go to God. I don't know about you, but... W- but for me, when I have complaints, when I feel like God is vacant or my life starts kind of unraveling a little bit, sometimes God isn't the first person I turn to. Sometimes I want to complain to my wife. Sometimes I just want to stew in it, and I just want to like get kind of worked up and become a little bit frustrated. And I try to maybe solve some issues under my own power, and then I kind of, oh yeah, I should pray. David goes right to God, and we should take our whole heart, and the first thing we do is to take our our requests, our complaints, our truth to God. Because God is the only one who can actually do something about it. And David knows that. And the next thing is, he takes his whole heart. It's, it's the, 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 the truth of his heart. He's not trying to tell God what he thinks God wants him to say. I do that too. Let me pray to you, God, how I think you want me to pray in this situation. And so all the time I'm talking, I'm analyzing you know, am I doing it respectfully? Am I doing it in a way that, you know, well, if I, can I manipulate God? And I don't say that in my head, but it's like I, I realize that it's what I'm doing is I'm trying to say it in a way that will get God to do it. Yeah, you probably won't do it, God, because, you know, you just don't care enough. And if you, 
Maybe if you would show yourself a little bit, um, then I would believe more. That would increase my faith. And, you know, I'm just trying to manipulate God. Um, You're learning a little bit about your pastor, right? (laughs) But he expressed what was really on his heart. And I love it. Um, If you have your Bible, you can turn over to 1 Peter. First Peter chapter 5, verse 6 and 7. And it says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. We follow a God who dearly cares for us. And it's not just for you guys and not me, because that's usually what I want to tell you is, I can tell you all day long, Jesus loves you, God loves you, that he cares for you. But for me to believe it in my heart is harder. I believe it for you. I'm not sure I believe it for me. And I don't know if you're similar. Where you believe it for everybody else in this room, but not for yourself. We can cast our anxieties on God because he cares for us. We can be honest with our God because he cares for us. And I love that. We can trust in God's methods He is a trustworthy God, even when we don't see what he's doing, what he's up to. And I love in Isaiah chapter 55, because what do we do? Because we're going to have those times, and that's what we're talking about today. We're going to have those times when we don't understand what God is doing. So Isaiah 55, starting in verse 8. And this is God talking through Isaiah. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God is working in our lives in ways that we don't understand. And when we don't understand those ways, we need to understand that we serve a God who has told us, You don't understand all that I'm doing. You cannot understand. You need to trust me. That's harder. We serve a God who can be trusted. The next thing is David, um, in his his psalm, the next two verses, he, he looks to God to intervene in his life. He has a request. I'm sure David, if he was writing his story, he would, like I said, he would have gone from, you know, slaying Goliath, And then eventually being raised up under Saul, um, being the champion, being the military dude uh, in Israel, and moving right up into kingship. But he couldn't make himself king. He had to wait, and he had to rely on God. He had to trust God. And and so as we come to this psalm, he's, he's learning to trust in God, and we know that he's learning this deeper lesson. And how do we know that? Because when Saul comes into a cave where David and his men are are trapped and hiding in the back of this cave, Saul comes in, and his men are like, you should kill him right now. God has delivered him into your hands. And what does David say? I will not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. He's learned a lesson that it's not for him to step into, the, into power in Israel, but it's for God to place him in that position of power. So he is learning a deeper lesson that I don't know if I could have, because when I read that story, and I'm in the back of a cave, I look at that as like, I'm just like his men, like God has delivered 
Saul into my hands. This is my opportunity to step into being king. And if he'd done that, maybe that was his opportunity. But he knew that there was a better way. Let's wait for God. Even when I don't see that he's working. In times of silence, God's inviting you into a deeper relationship with him. In times of silence, God's inviting you into a deeper relationship with him. Oftentimes when we have those times of silence, we step away from God instead of leaning towards God. We need to be continually going to God. But one of the reasons I, I think we don't go to God is that when we go to him in these times, it seems like he's not listening. It seems like it's almost a deafening silence. And C.S. Lewis, who wrote my favorite um, children's book, or I don't even say it's children's book, but book series, The Chronicles of Narnia, one of my favorite. He wrote a lot of other books as well. And most of them are, are how to connect to God, how to, how to see God. And he wrote one, Grief Observed, which is not as encouraging of a book, but not any less true than other things that he wrote. And he had a couple of quotes. And the first, and this, why, I think he encapsulates and articulates why we don't go to God when we feel like he's ignoring us. Says this. But go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face and the sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. After that, silence. You may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. Have you ever felt that? I know I have. When I'm most desperate and I'm crying out to God, And I think this would be a really good time for you to show up, God. And I get silence and more silence and almost an intentional silence if there's such a thing. But God is calling me into something deeper. Later in the book, he rethinks this a little bit because I think he's progressed in his understanding. And he says this, I have gradually been coming to feel that the door is no longer shut and bolted. Was it my own frantic need that slammed it in my face? The time when there is nothing at all in your soul except a cry for help may be just the time when God can't give it. You are like a drowning man who can't be helped because he clutches and grabs. Perhaps your own reiterated cries deafen you to the voice you hope to hear. When we're in desperate need, When we're crying out to God and we don't hear him, we're focused on that need. And many times God is focused on a deeper, more important issue in our lives. And we're missing it because of what we're focused on. It's not to belittle the need that we have. David was in desperate real need. He was being chased to be killed by Saul. And he knew that if God didn't show up, it wasn't going to end well. But God was working on something that would pay dividends when he became king. If he had just gone from being shepherd boy to being champion in Israel to being king, he might have just gone the way of the other kings of Israel, welled up with pride, thinking that it was his own doing that got him there. 
But because of the path God took him on, he understood, A, that God puts him there, and then B, he can trust that God wholeheartedly because he had seen God work uh, reliably and trustworthy in his life up to that point. So when we get to the point where we don't see what God is doing, we need to trust on the promises of God. And there are countless promises that God makes to us in Scripture. We don't have time to go through all of them, but I do want to touch on a few of them. The first one is in Hebrews chapter 13. And these are helpful things when we are feeling alone. Hebrews chapter 13, 5 and 6 says this, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? God will never leave us. When he feels like he's not there, it doesn't mean he is not there. We need to rest on the promises. Over in the book of John, John chapter 14, verse 18. He's talking about as he leaves this earth, he's going to send the Holy Spirit for believers. And he says this, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. We are not orphaned as children of God. He is our caring father, and we can trust him. Then a famous passage in Matthew 28 Starting in verse 18, it says, it's the Great Commission as it's called. It says this, Jesus talking, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's always. It's not I'm with you sometimes. I'm going to be coming and going when, you know, when I need to deal with you, I'll deal with you, and then I'm going to leave. It's not like you're, you know, I remember growing up and my dad would leave and go to, go to work, right? And then he was gone for the day, and then he would come back. That's not God. God is always present with you. He will never leave us, even to the end of the age. The Bible is full of countless other promises that were given. When I was in high school, I went on a backpacking trip. It was called Windover. I don't know what the, what the name actually was supposed to mean. I don't even think it's in business anymore. But it was a Christian ministry backpacking two weeks in southern Colorado near Durango, up in the, even in the summer, the snow-capped peaks of the, of the mountains. And uh, they would take, uh, I don't know, we had 20 high school kids, uh, including myself. I think I was like 16, perhaps. And the first part of it was informational. It was, this is how you start a fire. This is how you use a compass. This is how you read a map. This is how you make a shelter. Uh, this is how we, you know, divide up camping accessories between multiple people going backpacking so you're not carrying, you know, a 90-pound pack, which, you know, I weighed 140 pounds at the time, so that would have been impossible. That would have crushed me into the ground. Um, the next phase was kind of practicing a little bit. So we had a little bit of, of orient orienteering and, and survival and, you know, how to do different things, how to tie knots, all the things. And so after a few days, then it's, let's go backpacking. And so you go backpacking. In the middle of this trip, they had a 24-hour period, which was our solo time, which was they would hike down a trail and at intervals where you couldn't see anybody else, they would drop you off all by yourself with your backpack and with whatever you had. And you had a six by, I think it was a six foot by eight foot 
uh, tarp with some paracord in it. Um, it was raining like crazy that day. And they would drop you off, and then they would disappear. And then they would drop the next person off and disappear. And so you had 24 hours to make it on your own. I, and I forgot on Wednesday, but I do remember, this is why I have a hatred for marmots. <laughs> My boots were soaking wet, so I had, put them, I had made a little fire, and I put them by the fire, and so trying to dry them out a little bit. And then the fire went out overnight, and a marmot came and ate one of my shoelaces. <laughs> so then I had to use, like, whatever little bit of paracord I had left to survive. But you had to make a shelter. You felt like, you know, if you didn't figure this out, you were going to get soaked. You were going to be cold. It was going to be miserable. And you felt all alone. What we found out later was that the leaders were always checking in on you. They were always watching They weren't going to leave a bunch of high school kids by themselves in the middle of the Rocky Mountains and hope for the best. You know, but when you're 16, you just think, well, I'm doomed. This is it. They they forgot me. God is always with us. It may feel like we're alone, but he is with us. In verse 5 and 6 of Psalm 13, David remembers what God has done, and he looks forward to God's salvation. He had seen God work. He had faced Goliath, right? He had faced armies. He had led men into battle at this point. He had seen God do amazing things. And so he trusted and knew those things. And so he could lean back on that. When he didn't see God now, he could lean back on the times where he had seen God. And here's the truth, and I want you to to write this down and just to, to remember this. If you don't remember anything else, if God has moved in our past, he will move again in our future. He's moving right now, even if we don't see it. It's important to look back and see what has he done for us. We have salvation through Jesus Christ. Through faith in Christ, we can spend eternity with the God who has created us. We we can't live up to that by, by willing it, by wanting it. All we can do is put our faith in Jesus Christ, and we have it. We can look back in Scripture, and we can read stories of David. We can read stories of of other people who God has used throughout the ages and had God has been faithful and trustworthy in caring for, even amidst really hard circumstances. And I encourage you, make this personal. What has God done for you in the past? For me, I can look back and tell you that a year before my oldest brother, when he passed away in 1998, God brought a friend into his life who shared the gospel with my brother so my brother can spend eternity with us. When my dad had a massive heart attack several years back and was not expected to live, and a secular doctor, after his heart was remade new, a secular doctor said, it's a miracle. I don't believe in God, but this never happens. When I was 30 years old, living in Tucson, praying to God, why do I have a desire to be married and yet I don't have a godly wife. There must not be one on the planet. I don't get this, God. I don't see to this point in my life that you've been working. And then I met my wife, and five kids later, here we are. God has been faithful. And at the time, I felt alone. I find strength to trust in God because I can look back and see how he's working. So I want to encourage you that if you haven't made a list of some kind in your life. If you're, if you're cruising along right now and everything is just amazing and you're just feeling like you and God are two peas in a pod, 
Praise God. Make a list right now of all the things that he is doing currently in your life. Make that list. Think back. How has God moved in your life and the lives of the people around you so that when the, when the dry times come, when you're in the desert, you can look back and you can be encouraged to look forward to the hope, to, to the life getting better, walking with God. And if you're in the hard times right now, if, if you're struggling and you're wondering where God is, let me encourage you. Look deeper at what God might be doing in your life. Trust God because He is trustworthy. If you had walked away from the church and you're coming back, and this is your first Sunday back, man, I'm so glad you're here. I just want to encourage you. Lean into God. Work through your doubts and your frustration. Take them to Him. He cares for you, and He can handle your hurt and your pain. If you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, I want to tell you that you can believe and you can trust in Him. And we know that he is a loving God. Why? Because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how we know that he loves us. So what do we do with all of this? What do we do with all this? We have action steps. We have three this year that are really our our main push as a church that we believe uh, every believer should be doing. And the first is this. We want to put our begin a relationship with Jesus Christ to put our faith in Jesus Christ because without all the other things, it's just self-help and temporary change. It's just behavioral modification. Jesus Christ comes to give us a new life that we can live. So that's where it starts. Joining a serve team or a small group, Pastor Josh talked about the importance of community. And we, we strongly believe that, that when you're in a dry time, one of the last things that I personally want to do as an introvert is lean into community. But it's the first thing that I need to be doing because I need other people around me to correct me when I'm just wallowing in my misery, when I'm just loathing in my self-hatred. I need somebody else to say, wait a second, you're, you're, you're going off the rails. They need to encourage me when I'm, when I'm focused on the right things. I need people around me. You do too. Our serve teams and our groups provide that. You're going to hear a little bit more about our groups launch, which is happening today, and I want to encourage you to consider coming back at 1 o'clock to be part of that if you don't have a group. To pray the prayer, Holy Spirit, if there's more, I want it. God, I want to see you. That was David's prayer. How long will you forget me forever? Answer me. I want to see you. Pray the prayer. Holy Spirit, if there's more, I want it. And the last one, make a list of the ways that God has moved in your life and the lives of those around you. Hang on to that list. I don't know if you journal, but if you don't journal, uh, I don't typically journal, but I do write stuff down. I'm a stickies person. Um, So if you open Bibles and stuff, they're going to have like yellow and neon stickies all through them. Write it on a sticky so you can find it somewhere. Write it in a journal where you can find that list. Review it. And in those times when you realize that God is, is digging deeper into your life than you want him to, where he's making you more uncomfortable than you really want it to be, it'll encourage you to trust because he is a trustworthy God. Would you stand with and pray with me as we uh, end our sermon together? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your amazing love for us. And Lord, a real experience for all of us is going to be that we feel dry times where we don't see or experience you, where we feel like you have pulled away intentionally from us. Lord, you never leave us. You've said that. You've promised in Scripture over and over again that we are not alone, we are not orphaned, that you are here. You will be with us always. 
So we know that the truth is you are with us. So if we don't feel that, Lord, then there's something else going on in our lives. And that you are digging deep, Lord. You are not just about a, a, a daily behavioral modification, uh, some thing that I can do to make me feel better, Lord. But you are after deep heart change. You are after character development in my life. And Lord, I know that takes time. I want it now. And Lord, you're like, I love you too much to give it to you now. So thank you, Lord, that you see things from a different perspective than we do. That you are at work in ways that I can't even understand. Lord, help me to trust in you. Lord, let us see you move mightily in our own lives and the lives of the people around us. For you are a great God, worthy of our praise. We love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys.